it's cold in here. Cold. How's it going? A bit cold in here today. Oh, Sunday morning. Normally do the Sunday evening and everything's nice and toasty, but um, Sunday morning, because I'm <clears throat> probably going to be meeting my old friend, Mr. DeCrom, this evening. Um, I've been feeling a bit ropey uh, yesterday evening and this morning. Just not feeling 100%. Kind of, um, is that thing at the moment, you know, if, you, if you've got a cold, you must, be, you must have COVID, but um, sometimes you can just have a cold. It's quite a normal thing. Uh, and it sort of feels on the sort of on the on the cusp of that. Um, and I was, uh, I thought, no, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to persevere with doing doing the podcast recording because I haven't done one for about a month. Uh, so apologies about that. Hope you're all well. Well, um, anyone that's out there listening, hope you know life is returning a bit more to normal. Uh, certainly has done for me. It's been very busy at work, so we're kind of like, well, no way. It's thirty uh, first October today, yeah. So it's the clocks, the clocks went back. Yes, so it's the misery of the long winter days <clears throat> returns from today. I always find it a bit. Um, I'm not. I find it a bit. Hard. I do find it a little bit hard work this time of year. You know. Uh, but I think I've mentioned before, I really love that um, the end of March when the clocks go forward. It's one of my favourite points in the year that, you know, whereas this kind of, um, this point in the year is one of my least favourite. And it's not felt, it's funny because I always, there's one thing that um, maybe you can relate to this or maybe you can't, but, you know, sometimes it's that thing of, there's a kind of autumnal feeling, you know, a bit of a melancholic feeling at this time of year, which I normally get um, mid-October-y, and, and it kind of sets you up for this day, you know, for the um, for the Saturday Saturday night, Sunday morning thing where you get up and the clocks have gone back. And, um, you know, you get the extra hour in bed, which is always nice, which I definitely need at the moment because I'm knackered. But... Um, I haven't had that kind of autumnal feeling and I've been out and about as normal. I've been going to work as normal, teaching and doing a few gigs and bits and bobs of this, that and the other. But, yeah, I've not had that sort of feeling. So this has been a bit of a, bit of a not shock today, but just like, oh, it's like, yeah, we are now at that day. You know, it's the day. The clocks have gone back. The nights are drawing in, as they say, you know. My auntie... Um, her thing was she'd count the days. So I'm just I'm just moving the pop shield around. She'd count the days up to wherever it is the solstice, December, the whatever. And then after that, she would comment every day. If uh, if I was to see her every day, she would comment on the days getting longer again. You know, because it's that thing, isn't it? The days get shorter. And then they get longer. And she'd be sort of a bit obsessed about that thing, you know. And uh, I think that's where a bit of my thing comes from, that kind of definitely something in the family genes about, I don't know, maybe I'm just talking nonsense. But, um, yeah, this pop shield thing is really not good. Sorry, I should have been a bit more on it before I started. Um, 
got two pop shields. I've got a really good one for doing sort of vocals, and I've got this this one that I bought with this um, this like it's, I think I mentioned it before. It's the worst thing I ever bought on eBay. Um, it's this kind of um, it's one of those desk mic stands that has springs on it, you know, and it kind of comes out. And I and, it, and I, I had to basically completely modify it because it was so rubbish. Like it fell to pieces, um, like almost instantly when I bought it, and it didn't. It was just awful. So I went down, went down to the shed, the normal shed, not the drum shed, and um, did a serious kind of modification job on it. Uh, and then I've just made the mistake now of this pop shield that came with it is dreadful because I've got another, I've got a proper pop shield for doing vocals and things, which is really good because it's on a mic stand. But I have this set up for the desk because it's it's um, a podcast set up, you know. And it just, the mic stand lives on the corner of the desk all the time. It's, it's I mean, now I've modified it and repaired it. It's the, the ideal solution, so to speak. And it has this little pop shield that's come with it, which is normally plays ball, but it's just, um, it's really not happening at all. I may have to pause momentarily to resolve this situation because otherwise just going to be sat here messing around with this for an hour and I don't want to be doing that because I want to be talking about practice pads which is the subject of today's enthralling podcast. I'm just going to pause while I sort this out. There we go. Resolved. Oh. Taking a little swig of coffee. So... So yeah, it's been a busy few weeks, and um, the main the main thing I was I just kind of was wanting to share a little bit about today was I kind of got back into practicing again, which is good, and taking on um, trying to find ways to um, to practice some stuff whilst not being able to necessarily get on a drum kit, which was kind of subject matter today, really. Uh, Basically, um, I've had, I've done two episodes before on the practice pad. Um, one was about my original pad and the different pads. Um, I can't actually remember what the second episode was about. Maybe I should have refreshed my memory. And um, but this was I wanted to talk specifically today about this this new kind of setup um, which I got together. Uh, recently and it might you know it might help you think about some um, ways of getting a, a little setup together if you're finding struggling finding it hard and struggling to get on a drum kit regularly um, and I was finding practicing some of these things I was I'd made this sort of commitment to practice them on the kit you know um, and and I was finding it hard to, to get on the drums all the time. And also, certain times of the day, I don't like playing up here after sort of 7 p.m. Um, I think it's a bit antisocial, you know. Uh, it's not very, um, you know, the, 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 the drum shed isn't that, isn't soundproof, but it's it's not terrible. It's, it's not bad. I had some friends over recently. They were kind of outside while I was playing, and they said it was actually very quiet, you know. But regardless of that, because there's like families around here and stuff and you know 
there are sort of neighbours quite close. I mean, we we sort of very lucky. We 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 are detached our house, and and then the, the drum sheds at top at the top of this old quarry we live in. So it's not near the house either, but it, you know I'm near some other houses um, around and about. So um, it's quite nice sometimes to be able to come up here and and work on some of these coordination things. And I had a little setup in the window over there for a while. Um, I had a ride cymbal with a with a practice pad on it, and I had some hi hats set up, and uh, this this practice bass drum pedal thing, which I think I've talked about before probably here there and my my normal pad um but i kind of of course sort of simplified the setup in a way and i've got it i got on my desk here where my computer is so if i'm working here i can be i can kind of turn around and and, and get straight onto this thing and basically what it is, is i've got my i've got one of these gel pads i don't know if anybody's ever used the gel pad um but i use the gel pad as a ride symbol actually because it's quite nice for practicing um, different kind of techniques on the ride cymbal. And it's quite nice for practicing, if you're practicing like an up-tempo thing, because it just has no rebound whatsoever, you know. It's really, really, uh, you know, it's, it's the gel pad thing are, they're just so, you have to work really hard to get, to get doubles out and things like that. So, because on this setup I'm not practicing anything particularly technical, um, as in quick, you know, or, or stuff that involves a lot of rebound on on um, on the snare pad or the the ride cymbal pad. I just made this decision to um, to kind of put the put the gel pad on. It's on one of these Tama, um, these super lightweight stands. I, I've got a few of them now i bought another one recently so um i think they're absolutely mega they're, they're these like flat bottom super lightweight um they're like they're under 50 quid on on amazon well like well they're not always under 50 quid i have like a an, an alert when they come up and they go under 50 pounds i tend to buy one um and they recently again they they kind of came up on amazon and they were 48 quid it was um so yeah so i kind of made the purchase um and i decided to use this particular stand a new one um which got two functions one is for the practice this kind of practice setup that i've got and the other is to take um on gigs i've been doing this regular well monthly um thing uh which is at a bar in leeds called cellar bar with uh, james mannering one of our great sax tutor and great sax player and he, he teaches various things at college but he's in a, a band called rotary and he plays a lot with a lot of other people as well but he's um james is an ex-student as well of the college and uh he's um he set up this residency on a tuesday night he's there every week and he has different bands playing and so the original plan was, I think we'd made we'd had a discussion about doing it weekly on a Sunday, um, which I'd was into the idea of, and then um, it turned out that the night that was originally on pre-COVID was coming back on that night, and the people that were running that night wanted to come back and <clears throat> do their thing. So, um, 
So James, anyway, he managed to sort out this Tuesday night thing. And the, the, the thing that's nice about that gig is there's a house kit, and it's, it's quite nice. It's all right, it's a Gretsch Catalina, you know, and it's pretty well maintained. Um, and uh, the only thing that's not very good with that kit are the cymbal stands. They're, they're genuinely all massive, double-braced, awful things. And there's only two of them, and I, I do like to have a third cymbal. I like to have a, a, a sort of right-hand crashy ride kind of thing and so that this cymbal stand um, I have three of these in my gigging bag which I don't like to take things out of the gigging bag because I just want I just want them in the gigging bag and then you just come up here get loaded up and you go um, it's always a good thing to have um, you know duplicate stands for other things and this so this one is I'll take the pad off and I'll stick it stick it in my little I've got a little bag little pro racket bag which I put like a stool in or a bass drum pedal or something stick it in there and I've got an extra cymbal stand and it's so light and they, they only weigh I think they weigh 1.2 kilos these stands you know they're, they're super lightweight I've got in the gigging bag I've also got the DW one as well one of the DW ones um, which seem very hard to find at the moment so but uh, anyway so that's so that's what I've got the the gel pad so the gel pad's got a little screw thread on, on the bottom of it you know it's built into the the kind of chassis the frame of the pad um, so you can put it up on a cymbal stand so I put it on the cymbal stand and then with my left left foot got this thing going on you can probably hear that it's got a slight high pitched resonance about it and all it is is it's it's this uh, Gibraltar flat bottom hi-hat stand which um which i was using for a while for gigging but i'm not that keen on it to be honest with you it was one of these things of light making things more lightweight and i've gone back to my original single brace yamaha stands because they're the best they're the best stand in my opinion in the world for the compromise between a good hi-hat stand that has a good feel and weight you know i mean there's better hi-hat stands obviously but they weigh more you know and they have, they're more they're more complicated uh, and there are lighter Hyatt stands, which are not as good. Uh, and I bought this Gibraltar flat bottom thing. Um, can't remember what the name of it is. Has it got a name on here? No. No. It's got a serial number, which won't mean anything to anybody. But uh, but it's one of those ones that, again, it's like the, it's like the, you know, the heritage bottom. It fold, the bottom folds out three little legs. Um, and he used it for a while, and it, it was okay, but there was something about it that wasn't that, I don't know, just wasn't that into. And then there's a couple of bits of the metal on it were a bit cheap and nasty, and and that's not like Gibraltar. I think Gibraltar make very, very good um, stands. I mean, I, I, their stool bottoms are superb. I, I really recommend them to anybody. I've got two of them. I've got one on the kit here in the other room. Um, the one I'm sat on is my... I bought this, this is a pearl stool bottom, which I bought in 1989, and it's still fine, you know. It's a little bit loose on the rivets where it's joined, a little bit, a little bit saggy, but it's fine, actually. And this is the one I take out on me when I do gigs. It's, it's a, you know, it's got a screw thread thing, so it's, it spins down, goes very small. It's double brace, so it's quite heavy, um, which is a bit of a pain, but it's very sturdy. So, because um, the problem with the Cellabar drum kits, it has the worst stool in the history of stools it's genuinely i did a gig on it a few weeks ago and and my back was aching for about three days afterwards highly recommend don't ever do that to yourselves you know we live and learn we don't but um 
Yeah, so Gibraltar stands, I, I'd normally recommend them. And, and in, in on the kit in the other room, <clears throat> on my kit, I have the three flat bottom Gibraltar stands, which I originally bought to, to replace the Yamaha single brace, which I was using for years, and then that um, those stands were great uh, and they were quite lightweight and then I found these Tama stands and the DW stands you know so it was um, who was it I can't remember. I'm trying to remember who it was who told me about the um, it was American drummer who came to college told me about the DW stands because he had one um, and he was raving about it and he was like showing it to me and the weight of it and I was like oh these are amazing and then they were quite hard to find and they were quite expensive as well and I got one off Amazon again had like an alert set up and one came up for, it was under 60 quid, you know. Um, and I'd already bought a couple of the Tama ones which were under 50 quid, so, you know. But they, they, they're genuinely, like, you can really play normally and they don't move. And you, I'm, I'm so surprised, you know. I'm so surprised that they're that sturdy because they don't look it at all. And they genuinely are, you know. So, so I was using the Gibraltar ones. I bought a whole set of them, and they're now on the kit in here in the, in the studio. Uh, and they're actually not the best kit for the studio because the, the 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 Gibraltar ones you can fold the bottoms out any way you like. Actually, you can you can kind of go you can go beyond the flat, like so they so they start to kind of um, the bottom starts to go into sort of like a triangular shape. So. So you can kind of get the bottom of the stand off the ground because the problem with some of these flat bottom stands is they 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 mean that you can't put microphone stands in or around your cymbal stand like you normally have. You know, if you if you're on a gig or something or recording, you know, the mic stand would would sit because uh, a lot of mic stands are flat bottomed, aren't they? They sit around in and around your cymbal stands. Well, the problem if you've got these flat bottom cymbal stands is the mic stands can't do that. And I found that here at home with the uh, I've got a very limited room. And uh, my kit has, um, I mean, I've started using undersnare, for instance, a 58. So I've got hi-hat over undersnare, and that's all around the snare, sort of vicinity of the snare drum. And then I've got tom mic uh, for, the, for the rack, for the 13, and then the 14's got a, you know, he's got a, got a mic, and then bass drum, and then there's two overheads and two room mics, which are on the wall. And <clears throat> I, have, I really struggle with the... Um, with the mics which are in and around, uh, well, all of them, because the floor tom mic are like in a certain position, but the cymbal stand is quite close. And again, the flat bottom cymbal stand, flat bottom mic stand, they don't like each other, they're in the way of each other. So that's been a bit of a weird one, just getting my head around that. Uh, but you can, but the thing is, you can elevate these these Gibraltar stands a bit. You can get the bottom off the ground and create a bit of room for your mic stand. So, whereas you can't do that with the Tama stands and the DW stands. I th oh, actually, you think you can do it a little bit with the DW stand, but um, <clears throat> I think they go. They are particularly flimsy, you know, um, because the, the the Gibraltar stands are quite a lot. Uh, they are quite a lot more substantial, actually. They're quite heavy, a bit heavier. So, um, but anyway, so this setup, I've got the, I've got the Gibraltar. I'm just using the hi hat stand with no hi hats on it. Um, so I can practice any left foot stuff, and it's quite a, you know, it's quite a distinct sound because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for something that's kind of distinct, <clears throat> and it's more than. Because the problem, the, the the gel pad. The only problem with the gel pad, and you'll probably notice when I'm playing some things when we're talking about it in a minute, 
is that the um, the gel pad is pretty quiet. So it's been really helping me actually. One of the things I've been working on a lot this last um, well, the last two months, and then I had a bit of a break, and then um, for months and months before that, <clears throat> it's music that's based around swing, you know. And just really working on my swing playing and going for quite a specific thing, working a lot with a metronome, you know. And uh, and just that thing of, of having that, that, that pattern at the core and then doing the things that I'm doing around that uh, has really, really solidified, I think, my kind of swing time playing, especially in relation to holding on to tempos, you know. Um, and then I've been getting into this, this, this way of practicing with a metronome, which is, I think, <clears throat> I talked about in one of the previous podcasts, you know, um, about practicing the, with a the metronome in a kind of polyrhythmic way. Um, so, so I, guess I was just going to talk about a couple, a couple of things that I've been working on today. So I'll share them with you a bit about the process of them, um, going through them. Yeah, and and so and just to encourage you to maybe, um, I mean, with the thing with the bass drum is I've got this pearl bass drum practice. Can hear that, <clears throat> and it's basically a triangular-shaped like stand that you can detach your your pedal to, and it's got a foam thing. I've had it for a long time. I bought it off my friend Elliot Henshaw. I think I maybe mentioned this before, but it's been mega, you know, for um, having something to to plug a bass drum pedal into, you know, basically and practice off. The other thing I've got is a cajon, which is down on the floor down there, which I have used, but it's quite loud. I mean, I might as well just play the bass drum, you know, the con is just as loud as a bass drum. Um, I've used that on a couple of gigs and things, but it's got a really nice, um, it's really nice sound, specifically with this cork, got this cork beater, which I use for practicing. Um, which is quite, it's quite nice to play with. It was one of the things that I was considering, maybe I should be practicing something which is a bit less nice. Because again, that sort of um, <clears throat> just finding things that slightly challenge you, you know, um, like the gel pad. And I'm practicing this drop skip idea. So I'm trying to make the crotchets, quarter notes, trying to make them even. That sound. And then get this breath sound or this skip beat in between. So the, the the technique is there's there's this drop there's this kind of drop skip idea and then you collect the stick and that generates an accented sound and then the other the other beat so one and three are collected because the skip beat comes from the, the skip beat of two and the skip beat of four onto one and three one and three beats are collected and two and four are played through the wrist. So the technique is about is about evening the tone between the wrist stroke two and four and the collection stroke, which is one and three. 
trying to get the um, the symbol to sound the same. And that's the kind of challenge. And that's why one of the things, one of the early things I teach students when they're, when they're sort of trying to get into playing jazz is, is a technique that I show them an approach to playing the ride symbol, which can just help them understand about this this idea of two levels of sound, two two dynamics of sound that you operate within when you're practicing comping, for instance. You know the the, the hi hat on two and four should be should be the same volume. And it kind of reinforces two and four, and then you've got your strong collection stroke on one and three, and it kind of helps to even up the crotchets, the quarter notes. And then you can make a decision about whether you want to sort of slightly emphasize two and four a bit more because you're playing it through the wrist, or you or you don't, you know. Because there's different schools of, of of thought with swing, you know, some people think that the, the the all all four quarter notes or crotchets are the are the same level. Some people think about this this emphasis on two and four. Well, the hi hat tends to do that anyway if you're playing sort of generically. And then underneath that, you've got this feathered sound. I'm slightly overplaying it so you can hear it. You probably can't hear it though. And if you listen to this on a phone or something, you certainly won't hear that. I wouldn't have thought you'd hear that. But the um, you get this, I don't know if you can hear that. So I'm just feathering the bass drum and I'm just playing the skip beat on the pad, on the on the gel pad, which is the, the skip beat of two and four. They should roughly be at the same volume. And then if you're playing, if, if you're playing some comping patterns on the on the snare, can practice like, oh, on a slightly stronger right hand. Gives the illusion of the left hand being quieter, of course. Or you can have a more gentle right hand, or you can start to bring bring the left hand up. It's all about dynamic choices, okay? So, um, so that's um, kind of one of the sort of bedrocks of, um, of practicing this kind of style of music. If you're learning coordination, um, and you know the great books like you know John Riley's book, The Art of Bop Drumming, or The Drummers of Vocabulary, Alan Dawson. You know those books are really great uh, ways into this, following those systems using the syncopation, the Ted Reed syncopation sets two patterns and, and practicing them as comping exercises and putting them into the right foot and into the left foot. And all those things are all kind of common vehicles of how to get into playing jazz drums and how to get that kind of voicing together, that sound world together, that control of the instrument, the dynamic control of the instrument in order to be able to play acoustically and play within different situations with acoustic instruments or amplified instruments, you know. So that's all blah, blah, blah. So on this 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 setup, um, I was going to talk you through a couple of things I've been practicing today. Uh, well, I've been practicing recently. I'm going to stick the metronome on. So this metronome 
is in three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. So I know I've talked about this in the previous episodes. If you, if you go back to, um, I can't remember what it's called, something about a metronome. If you search my podcast, you'll find a title reference to a metronome. And um, I think... I think I was practicing something like this. Ding, 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 ding. So you got. You can hear the metronome. It lands on the beat. The next one is just before that skip beat on two. One, then the next one is on the, sk the swung beat of three. So it lands just before I play my beat four. So all these exercises, these two exercises anyway, well, the two, they're two kind of models are all based upon this. Um, this metronome setting, and they're all designed to make me listen, okay? Listen to the metronome, and is it like there? It's gone slightly out. Now, if I really concentrate, don't talk, then I can really focus. So you can just listen to that for a minute. So the triplet quavers, as you can hear, are divided into groups of four. Three fours are twelve, four threes are twelve. Simple stuff, nothing. Fancy pants going on here. But you might agree, maybe you don't, but I certainly feel quite strongly that this is more interesting than having. Sorry, that's my click. I have a very loud click. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. There you go. So I can, I've got my own kind of built-in metronome, but of course there's no atomic clock involved in my um, emotional vibe. It tends to rush. So I use this metronome setting because it makes me really think about locking in with those subdivisions. Um, and there are other options as well, you know, and can set it to have a different polyrhythmic relationship. The five is quite a nice one, but I'm not going to get into that today. Um, I'm just going to concentrate on this because I end up just not concentrating on anything. I start talking about too many things. So, um, so, so one of the exercises I've been practicing quite a lot uh, recently, and it's it's, a, it's not a complicated exercise. But it's a very nice exercise, and it involves, you know other material. So for this exercise, I use my own material, which is this left hand chart, 
which is just all of the different triplet quavers, you know, um, that that are, um, you know, that, that, that are just within the bar of 4-4 or 12-8. Um, and again, I, I practice it with this, um, with two different bass drum patterns in order to connect with this metronome setting. And it's this West African thing where you where you divide the bar, you change the bass drum patterns, so it turns into a bar of kind of three, four, yeah, from um, from four, four, or t or twelve, eight, or whatever you want to think about it. But it turns into this bar of one e and a two e and a three e and a one e and a two e and a three e and etc. etc. Et uh, you get this boom, 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 boom. Two, three, one e and the two e and the so the so the triplet quavers in the other in the twelve eight become sort of semi quavers if you like you can think of it as quavers in six as well which is fine one so um, you can you can say one two three four five six one two three four five six one two three to tack it to tack it to tack it to one and a two e and a three and a one and two and three. One e and a two e and a three and a one two three four five six one two three four five six. You can have it as you can think of it in that way. It doesn't it doesn't make any difference. The basically the, the idea is that the division, the twelve eight division, is just this idea of being dis, dis, divided between either four four as in four lots of triplet quavers, or twelve eight, or into these, the triplet quavers become uh, emphasized in groups of four, so they turn into what you could think of as 16th notes or semi quavers, uh, or four lots of quavers. It, it doesn't, either way, it doesn't really matter, but the idea is that you're kind of feeling these two different pulses and you're having this kind of direct connection and how they relate to each other, and really being able to hear how they relate to each other. This is the key, hearing how they relate to each other. This is this is this can be a very mathematical thing, and it's quite an easy way to get into it in the math side of things. And then for a while you can live with it for a while until you start to hear it. Once you start to hear it, like with anything within improvisation or whatever, once you start to hear something, then you're able to access it in real time and use it. In, in any way you feel you can manipulate, because you can hear it, as opposed to replicate something and, and just replicate something exactly as it was. So, so to go back to the swing thing, so you get this, so you've probably been listening to that metronome, and you've been really back in the three thing, now I'm back into this. So, I would say practice on my left hand chart. This is my number three. Two triplet quavers on the off beats of each beat. One, two, three, two, two, three, 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 four, two, three. And what's lovely about the metronome is if I slightly rush or slightly drag, I just use my ear to pull myself back into the pocket. And as I'm talking to you, I definitely have a tendency to just get a little bit on top when I stop paying attention. But as you can hear here, so there's where the metronome is. 
that's quite a nice one to practice because you're because you really lock in. And you can sort of play around with it. I like playing around with it. Sometimes if I'm in the studio recording with people, I do like to play, be slightly in front or behind. Sometimes play some of the track behind, some of the track right with the metronome, and some of the track slightly on top, you know? And it's just that thing of being able to listen and manipulate where you're landing in, in, within relation to the sort of the center of the time. So, so what I normally do is, is, is modulate into this other bass drum pattern, which takes this thing into the three. So now I've got the, the hands playing the same thing. But the feet are now playing this this kind of samba thing. It's using three. So that's how I think of it. Or you can be one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. Ting, 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 two, three, four, and that's where I am in the hands. Ting, 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 one, two, three, four. So now I move through the left hand chart. I'll go between each line. Go between each line, between each feel, okay? I can't remember what the next line is. Next line will be, I think. So there you go, just, a little, just turn it off for a second. It just gets a bit relentless after a while. So I hope you can hear what, what, that, what the vibe of that is. You've got like a whole page, you've got crotchets, quarter notes on the beat, triplet quavers, and then the off beats, the on beats, and then all these different variations of triplet quavers. And the metronome is set to that three setting, which is basically every, every four triplet quavers. And then, um, and then I switch that bass drum pattern into that kind of samba in three kind of thing. Boom, chuba, boom, chuba, boom, chuba. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, a two, and a three, and a one, two, three, four, five, six. Doesn't matter which way you think about it. Um, I think correctly it should be thought of in six, but I, I, I just think of it in three. I like to kind of think about things in the thing that I feel them in, you know what I mean? Maybe that's not the right way, but it, it feels to me like that's that's okay, you know. Um, <clears throat> so, so that's the first exercise. I hope that makes sense. Um, the next exercise is using exactly the same 
setting. Uh, this is 79, by the way. Um, I like this tempo. Um, I find it... Um, I like to find tempos um, that are... Um, that are good to practice to, that make things feel like they're in a pocket, like there's a natural kind of... And then, once I've really got that kind of thing down, feel like I've got this sort of, got it down in that tempo, I will change the tempo, move up or move down or whatever. Um, so, yeah, 79, this is 79. Um, just for your reference. Uh, if you want to sort of um, use the same setting. So, the next exercise is a thing I've been practicing from my lessons with John Riley in there, uh, doing this, there's two different things where I've been trying to practice this left foot clave stuff. I just wanted to share one of those exercises today. Um, and, and how you use his comp four. So, if you've got the art of bot drumming, I know some of you that listen to this do own that book and have used that book for both teaching and practicing yourselves. Um, comp four is kind of seen as um, kind of the holy grail of, of, of I think, of a, getting to a point with that system where you're really starting to um, play some interesting comping patterns and having the flexibility to play some interesting comping patterns um, when you're playing music with people in real time, um, and they're and they're very well written, the um, the 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 patterns in comp four, they're, they're they're very well written, and they're, they they have they really do have some challenges connected to them, it's, and there's some lovely patterns in there, especially some of the ones where you where you're kind of connecting left hand and right foot in groups of quavers together. Um, and yeah, taxing is the word, you know. And again, it's all about trying to keep things within uh, the, your your sound, your sound world. You know, the the, the 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 sound that you're trying to make, and not losing control of that sound, and not being able to coordinate yourself within that sound. This is the key, I think. So, um, so I've been practicing this. Nightmarish exercise um, two between something with comp three, which I'm not going to talk about today, but with comp four um, again, it's with it's with the swing pattern. <clears throat> so you've got the same swing pattern, and it's with a, a version of the bembe in the left foot. So when even when you just hear that on its own, just practicing time in the right hand and playing the bembe in the left foot, the way it relates to this metronome set in three, is quite wonderful. I, I, I really the challenge I find immediately is is really listening to the metronome. You know, I'm not slave to the metronome. I'm listening to the metronome. You know, I'm actually listening to it like I'd listen to something else. But I'm maintaining my own time feel. And uh, you will hear the way it fits in. Get, 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 get
and the way that that last one goes in the little gap, you know. So again, um, I practice these exercises without a metronome. I mean, I talked with um, I talked with him about this. I said, you know, what are your feelings about practicing with and without metronome when you're learning these new things? And he said, he said what I'd thought. He said, I when I first get into these things, I don't practice them with a metronome. I just practice them as he puts it to grease the wheel, you know, and it, and uh, I very much agree with that. I tend to practice things very slowly and I, I work out a way of getting in using different systems of getting into getting the coordination, getting, getting, just getting to play the coordination. And this is, again, this is sort of outside of the normal sound world and outside of the normal kind of feeling of playing. It's just a way of getting the patterns together. And then from that, slowly build up each one of the parts. Um, and so <clears throat> when you go through comp four, if any of you have done that, you'll know how challenging quite a lot of those patterns are in just, just with a normal left foot, just playing two and four. And the idea is you play all of them with, um, with this left foot bembe thing. Uh, which I'm, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm about ten percent of the way through, if that, you know. And what I tend to do is I tend to live with a couple of patterns for a while and really get into them, um, and and also, you know, do different variations of the same pattern, just to really get the on top of the feeling of what those patterns are. So I was gonna just there's like the. Um, this left, two left hands, two right foots one, which is one of the earlier ones. Just talk about that today a little bit, um, and how I, and again how that kind of slots in with this, with this metronome thing, you know. there you go uh, it's kind of hard to talk <laughs> at the same time as doing that um for various reasons as you can probably imagine um, but the main thing is i tend to rush when i talk you know the thing i'm finding it easier and easier to do now with this three metronome thing is get into it the thing you might find hard at first He's actually getting into the, the to the pattern. So that's another one I've been trying to do. Trying to do the um, just to the left hand. Um, Yeah, and then try to do the right foot. Oh, she's a bit of a pain. Um, ah, it's kind of nearly there. It's one of those funny ones, the right foot. It kind of goes, it comes in and out. Um, and it's that, it's that sort of, um, I see it as a, like when you're learning, so, well, this is the way it feels to me. When you're learning something new, 
Um, I have that feeling of something being inside my brain but out of reach. And uh, very occasionally you kind of you're able to to just touch it or just get a hold of it slightly, and, and then you have this moment where you're you're sort of in it, <clears throat> you're kind of doing it. And then it moves away from you again, you know. And obviously the more that you practice something and practice it methodically in the right way, I feel it coming more into focus and coming coming closer to me. But then I have this feeling again of it of it disappearing sort of into the mid into the midst mist into the mist on the midst of my brain into sort of just slightly hazing out not being able to quite and then it comes back and then it comes it comes closer and closer and eventually it's fully in focus and it's there and it's and it's and I'm able to reach it and it's and then you get to this thing don't you when you've learned something you can really play it like you can't imagine why you could never play it before you know and it feels so easy and then you kind of share something. It's like I'm sharing this this exercise with you now, and the other exercise. And part of me in my brain is saying, "Well, while I'm talking about it, Davis is like really easy. Why are you even talking about this? You know, it's so boring. Why would anybody? Everyone's just like laughing and going, "Yeah, I can play it. Well, I can play. I've been able to play it for twenty years." But it's kind of it's not really about the specifics of the exercise. I have to remind myself when you when you're sharing any idea with a student. You know, it's not it's not about a sort of ego thing of like I can play this thing this quickly or this complicated. It's just sharing a process of learning that can apply to anything, and it's sharing that process. That's all it really is. You know, and I have to remind myself all the time, like you know, I'm just sharing a process. Somebody else may have done all that, but they're in the middle of something else that they're finding difficult and they may be losing a bit of faith or they're not quite kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're about to give up on something or whatever and maybe just sharing an insight into into a process that's maybe something that they can do, which is but it's a slightly different approach than they took, might help them <clears throat> within the thing that they're doing is different. And that's kind of, um, you know, I have to kind of remind myself of that <laughs> all the time, you know. <clears throat> and that thing again of, you know, I start, now, now I'm playing this because I get, get into this metronome thing. You know, when I first started trying to practice that, like literally just starting. Just trying to get that tight and not rush. was like a nightmare for me, you know. And now it just feels like normal. And then getting this... Uh, Getting that. And try and get those and then try and get those patterns into it. There's still the miss. Another one that I've been trying to practice. But the main thing about them is, is the coordination and then coordinating my ear to be able to listen outside of the patterns, you know. Building up this stronger time base, this this, this thing of really 
getting on top of the time, you know, getting on top of the time. So, um, so there's a couple of, yeah, metronome things that I've been practicing. And then also, you know, on this setup, there's, there's also an opportunity to just work on some, some kind of patterns and, and, um, or, you know, whatever you're doing. Um, and so sometimes I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the, uh, the ride pad as a tom, you know. So um, sometimes I'm, I might be practicing um, like a, having a, a left foot ostinato going. It's maybe just crotchets. <clears throat> um, and then having uh, doing some sort of pattern practice in in the between the right foot and the left and right hands over two surfaces, you know. So things like which is a which is a paradiddle diddle thing um, using uh, some bass drums in the gap to create a 16 note or a 17 note um, pattern. There's two two semiquavers at the beginning are on the bass drum, one E and a two E and a three E and a four E and a one E. So that's that. And then the the Anna and the next one and then the two E Anna is a paradiddle diddle. And then you're on to beat three. And on beat three is a single bass drum hit. Boom. One, two, three. Of course, you've got this da da, da. And then the bass drum is playing on the four yan ah onto the one. Da da, da, da da. Now, in between those bass drum hits are six semiquavers, where you, so that's where you put your two paradiddle diddles in and it creates this quite funky thing. Two E and a three and a four E and a one E. Yeah. <clears throat> so what I like to do is practice that thing but between two surfaces and just move it around in different ways. Even just play it, just have it over, have it with the left hand on the gel pad or the right hand on the gel pad, left hand on the And I also, um, it's quite nice sometimes to just have that thing of practicing doubles or patterns with doubles in. So they're parodied littles between two different surfaces with two completely different rebound things going on, you know, so. So that's just the right hand on the. That's the right hand on the on the on the Sabian pad, and the left hand on the gel pad. And you can do different variations. That's just with the single bass drum hit at the beginning, and it's got a double in the middle and then a double at the end. Um, Or the other way around. And then I put a little accent on the second left, which I've discussed in previous podcasts. Ah, you know, I like this parodied little 
with a, with a, an accent on the second left. <clears throat> it's one of my little personal things, things that personalize your rudiments, try and find ways to make them sound like your own. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, so I will practice like doubles on the gel pad and then doubles on the pad. And, and some of the other things that I've been, other coordination things I've been practicing, uh, it's quite nice to, to, to have them on this setup. So, um, the setup's mainly about convenience, really, being able to practice things uh, at any time and not disturb anybody, basically, and just get on with some coordinated stuff. Um, but it's finding a nice setup for yourself that works for yourself, that feels. Like it's uh, serving a purpose, you know, uh, not just with the with practicing the coordination, but maybe, um, like I say, like, I like this gel pad thing because it makes me work the right hand in a slightly different way, you know. Um, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of it for today, really. I don't really want to ramble on about much else. Um, I'm going to try and anyway, as I say, I'm going to try and do more things like this, more kind of. Um, podcasts that are a bit more practical than um, maybe conceptual uh, well it's kind of both isn't it but you know um, and yeah and it's nice to be playing you know nice to be playing again gigging again and playing with people again and um, life's kind of um, I have to say very luckily felt quite normal you know um, I think we're very lucky um, within the the higher education that I'm involved in we you know, we um, the only things that are not being taught face to face are very large lectures, and and that's just because of um, we have to have this situation where uh, the, our, our rooms are are fit to where that we're able to function in the building through another possible lockdown and not change anything in the building, which is you know something that we're. You know, living with this year and hopefully beyond this year will um, will cease to be and we can go back to kind of normal rooming. But, but basically what it means is that the majority of stuff for us um, is face-to-face, -face, you know. So like all, all, all the one-to-one -one teaching is all face-to-face. -face. Now everyone's, lots of people have been vaccinated. I've been, my second one is next week. I've got my, sorry, my third one is next week, my booster so um looking forward to that and getting you know getting another shot in the arm and another little booster for another six months hopefully and um yeah i think you know i think you know other parts of um he have have been all you know been all online but we've we've everything's face to face and um just teaching as normal in the rooms, you know, which has been great. Um, been able to hear students play live, you know, and watching gigs and hit and going to, we've got workshops and, you know, it's been great. Last week we did auditions. We had people coming in. We had two full days of people coming in from all over the country auditioning. Drummers, I saw some really good drummers last week and and good trumpet players and stuff in the panels I was on. It was great. 
And then we had an open day yesterday. It was very busy. Lots of nice people. Um, little students playing for them and lots of questions and chatting to new people. Um, it just generally feels like a lot of people are really feeling very positive about that thing of of being out and about and hearing music, you know, and this seems to be like a really, you know, quite a big push for people people kind of going out to see live music. So I really hope it continues. And I feel like it will, you know, I think people maybe can have a maybe a permanent appreciation actually for what, you know, the value of what live music brings and the value of our culture, you know, sharing our culture with each other. It's really important part of um a part of the sort of bedrock of society you know of um um the yant the ying of money if you like uh, not i'm not saying that music doesn't have money in it of course it does it's just that you know the different parts of of life bring different things to society you know and um there's a, you know there's been a quite a negative push against the arts it's felt politically in the last year and a half and the covid thing really didn't help and there's some pathetic statements made by our government in relation to what you know what artists should be retraining to do different things you know and, and i know people have thought about it you know and uh and i'll have to and i'll be very honest with you on that you know there's there I, there's things i'm interested in in my life which are nothing to do with music which you know um if i was to uh, if i had to retrain in something else there are other things that i would do and i would enjoy um you know absolutely especially as i've got older i've got a slightly different view on um i wouldn't have felt like this when i was 30 you know now i'm 50 i feel quite differently about um, the the other things that i'm interested in and and actually you know if i had the chance to you know like retrain as um within something within engineering or something you know or within mechanics or whatever um i think i would really enjoy that, that process because i enjoy doing that thing um you know in part in in sort of part time you know in, in in my kind of hobby life you know um repairing things or whatever and it's, it's, it's a similar thing to like practicing it's a similar kind of it's just like uh, having something purposeful or meaningful to concentrate on you know and so um but you know on the flip side of that to, to make those comments and, and to make like a, a part of society feel because of this situation feel kind of alienated is is pretty disgraceful really you know in my opinion but i don't want to get political on this thing because it's, uh, it's not a place for that really um hopefully this is a place where we don't think about that kind of stuff kind of forget about it for a while you know but it's but it's, but it's nice anyway to, to feel like um seeing lots of you know lots of things on social media and lots of people playing lots of music and getting around the country and and getting around europe as well you know the brexit thing's been very challenging for us and visas and all that stuff and there's nothing on the horizon for me outside the uk at the moment i mean my my gigging kind of diary is very very quiet now it was it got it was quite a few things going on late summer august into september and then obviously college was starting again which is why i found it hard to to do this for instance um and do some other things like do my exercise every day and stuff which i was doing religiously but i've again I've, it's been hard to do that but um you know now things are kind of uh yeah slowed down a little bit on that front and also things at work just starting to get back to a kind of normalness because they've been very not normal um then you know, it feels like there's a bit more time for this kind of stuff and um 
Yeah, and the gig, yeah, but the gigging thing is for me is quite quiet. So, um, which is um, which is good in some ways because it's because it's I'm still I'm still very much in a kind of frame of mind of um, I've got lots to work on, lots to practice, and um, yeah, the more time I can spend doing that, it does feel like I'm giving myself. Um, the time to really absorb those ideas, get you know, get the things that are slightly out of reach in the brain into the into the kind of um, uh, in range. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> for the want of a better expression. So, so yeah. Anyway, uh, hopefully we'll be back soon in the next in a couple of weeks, and um, yeah, with some more stuff. So, thanks for listening, and bye for now. <laughs>